And uh, several passages of Scripture talk about Abraham as the friend of God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7 says, Art thou art not excuse me, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. Uh, Isaiah 41 and verse 8, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And then in James chapter 2, verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Once there was a rich man uh, said uh, he would divide his fortune among his friends if only uh, he knew who they were. Uh, years passed and the last, at last the man died. It was in uh, a midwinter blizzard. And his last request was that the funeral be held at four o'clock in the morning. And although scores had boasted of being his intimate friends, only three men and one poor woman turned out to stand red-eyed and sad beside his grave. And when the will was read, it was found to direct that man's estate was to be divided equally among those who attended the funeral. Sometimes friends are scarcer than you think. Only four people showed up. Well... Uh, they probably thought it wasn't worth it going at 4 o'clock in the morning. But Abraham is called in James, we read there in James chapter 2, verse 23, the friend of God. And the expression comes from uh, those other two passages, the one in Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, and Isaiah 41, verse 8. And one of the most unique friendships in the Bible is the friendship that existed between God and Abraham. Uh, Abraham, says James, was called the friend of God. This was not Abraham's assessment. He they wouldn't say, I'm God's friend. No, this was God's assessment. He was uh, a friend of God. Now, we have others in the Old Testament and New Testament as well. But uh, Moses was a great leader of the nation of Israel led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. Uh, he's not known as the friend of God. Uh, Solomon was endowed by God to be the wisest man that ever lived, not called the friend of God. Job persevered in spite of his predicaments and his pain. Nehemiah was God's builder when the walls of Jerusalem had fallen down. Isaiah was God's prophet whose lips were touched by, by an angel. Uh, Paul was God's evangelist to the Gentiles. David was the apple of his eye. Now, only Abraham, though, no one else uh, in biblical history, not uh, only Abraham is known as a friend of God. Now, what does it take to be God's friend? What was it about Abraham that put him in line for such a distinctive title? When you look at your life, perhaps you'd like to know. Do you qualify? Do I qualify to be called God's friend? 
How close are we to reaching Abraham's status as a friend of God? What does it take to be so close, so valuable, so important to be called God's friend? Well, I think there are th we're going to look at six evidences of Abraham's friendship with God. Abraham was God's friend because, first of all, friendship involves altars. Friendship involves altars. In Genesis 12, verse 7, it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. In Genesis 13, 18, Then Abraham, or Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built an altar unto the Lord. Um, in Genesis 22 and verse 9, uh, they came to a place which God had told of, uh, him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So several places throughout the uh, book of Genesis you find Abraham building an altar. What kind of altars are involved here? Well, there's an altar for sacrifice. Abraham is seen in Scripture repeatedly building these altars. An altar is a place of sacrifice and a picture of something given up for God. And uh, it's expanded by the fact that Abraham built an altar himself. Now the word altar actually means slaughter. Altars became altars when there was a victim that was slain. A lamb or uh, a, uh, some kind of uh, animal was slain. Uh, to have the former without the latter is like kneeling to pray without actually praying. You know, you kneel down to pray, but you don't pray. So if you built an altar, you'd have to have a sacrifice. When Abraham built an altar, he intended to use it because he was a friend of God. It was in this new land that the Lord appeared and the altar was built. And then he built even the altar that Isaac was laid upon. Found in Genesis 22. So there's an altar for sacrifice. Secondly, there's an altar for worship. Now friendship, friendships have to have an invested cost to them. And it cost Abraham to be God's friend. One of the costs that Abraham was willing to pay was building and using an altar. See, the worship of Jehovah was established in his life. If he would be a friend of God, if we would be a friend of God, we, have to, uh, we must establish worship in our homes, and worship must uh, be taken, uh, from the, uh, taken home and just not left in the church. Now, sometimes people think, well, we have to go to church to worship. No, you take your worship home with you, and you worship God throughout the week. Uh, family life may, very seldom includes an altar these days. Uh, very seldom do you find families that have a time and a place where the members of the home make a sacrifice of meeting with the Lord. Maybe it's not killing an animal. Certainly we don't need to do that anymore. Uh, we have one sacrifice that was paid once and for all, but we need to sacrifice our time 
to have an altar as a family where we meet together uh, with the Lord. Someone said, if children are, are to be taught the Word of God, taught to, be pr- uh, taught to pray, taught to live holy lives, taught to, be, uh, to put their trust in Christ as Savior, then surely there ought to be regular worship in the home. So, some biblical examples of this uh, would be Noah. Uh, in Genesis 7 and verse 1, It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Uh, Genesis 8.20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Uh, His religion uh, was as good at home as it was in public. It was as good after the flood as it was before. Now, where you read the whole story, the end of the story, Noah didn't end end up well. But he is an example of one that made an altar to the Lord. Abraham, in Genesis 18-19, says, For I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Jacob, in Genesis 35, verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him. You see, he, he, he was including the whole family. And he said, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. So there are some biblical examples. There are also some some, bibli- uh, some biblical exhortation. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Talking about uh, God's law, God's commandments, God's word. And shalt talk with them, uh, uh, of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It's including the whole family. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Isaiah 38 and verse 19, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. And of course, in the New Testament, Ephesians 6.4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there are... So some places in the scripture where we're exhorted to have a family altar and to uh, have the word of God before our children. Now, what would be some practical suggestions for this? Well, first of all, make it entire. In other words, the entire family should worship together. Now, for some of us tonight, the entire family is just me and Ma. <laughs> pa and Ma. Oh, the little ones are, are all grown up and they're gone. But if you have little ones, 
Include the entire family. Make it for everyone. Every member should take part. Make it expected. It should be a part of your daily schedule. Make it early. The best time to put your armor on is in the morning. Uh, make it at eating times when everyone is already at home around the table. So those are practical suggestions. But there are also some profitable methods. One of them is to read. What are we going to read? Read God's Word. Read the Bible. Read devotional books. Sometimes uh, if the children are little, we need to have children's Bible stories. Be sure to work it into their lives. Use questions and applications and definitions and illustrations. Make it practical. And then pray. They need to see and hear you pray. Pray for specific needs and see how God answers prayer. Keep a journal and uh, write down the prayer requests and then write down when God answers that prayer. Pray for the family needs and others' burdens and missionaries. I think of my grandson. He is now a senior in high school. He's going to be a senior. So this was quite some time ago. Back when he was just a youngster, my daughter wrote us, said, you know, we've been doing a lot of praying in our family about a lot of things. And on the way to church yesterday, Eric mentioned that if he were a cow, he'd want to be one in Florida or Texas, but not Minnesota. Karsten piped up, said, you know, Dad, if you want to be a cow, you just have to ask God. Well, sometimes that's the level our children <laughs> understand these things. But they've been praying, and so uh, to him, you just ask God. And how many times are, do we forget to ask God when we have a need, we have a desire? Another thing is to sing good doctrinal character-building Christ-honoring songs. Memorize, work on Scripture memory. Don't be satisfied, just quote it, but figure out how to apply it. And then testimonies. Talk about what God has taught you or God's answer to prayer. These are words of praise and thanksgiving. So friendship involves altars. One other thing tonight, and that would be friendship involves acknowledgement. Friendship involves acknowledgement. In Genesis 13 and verse 4, it says, Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. First of all, an acknowledgement of his presence. I believe Abraham felt a strong desire to uh, uh, make his faith and his, uh, his sincerity on the scene of his former worship, he might express hum humility or penitence for his misconduct in Egypt or thankfulness for the deliverance from the perils and difficulties and to embrace the first opportunity on returning to Canaan of leading his family to renew their allegiance to God and offer a typical sac sacrifices which pointed to the blessings of the promises. You cannot befriend whom you do not address. You want to be a friend with somebody, you got to talk to them. We know that's true in our personal relationships. If you want a friend, what's the Bible say? Show yourself friendly, right? 
And that's what Abraham is doing to God. He's, he wants to be his friend, and so he's showing himself friendly. So he acknowledges his presence. And then acknowledge through prayer. The mark of a great man of God is in his prayer life. Abraham was a man of prayer. How do we fellowship with God outside of talking with him and conversing with him? Spurgeon said, we must remember the goal of prayer is the ear of God. Unless that is gained, the prayer has utterly failed. The uttering of it may, be, may have kindled devotional feelings in our minds. The hearing of it may have comforted and strengthened our hearts of those who, for, with whom we have prayed. But if the prayer has not gained the heart of God, it has failed in its essential purpose. We need to get the ear of God. Now, prayer basically is communication of the individual with God. So notice that when a true prayer recognizes God's person. Now, what makes up God's person? Well, his omnipresence. God is everywhere all the time. And so we, we recognize God's pers uh, presence in 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Uh, recognize his majesty and dominion over his creatures. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 6 and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen, and in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? It brings us to recognize his power and his might. Psalm 115 and verse 3, But our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And we recognize his omniscience. Psalm 11 verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. And then recognize his infinite purity and holiness. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 15. Look down from the holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the land which thou hast given us as thou swearest unto our fathers a land that floweth with milk and honey. In Isaiah in chapter 57, in verse 15, And thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So there must, true prayer must recognize God's person, but also recognize God's place. Well, God is, yes, he's everywhere, but he is in heaven. That's the throne room of the universe. And heaven is a real place. It's an inhabited place. It's an eternal place. And so, friendship involves altars and acknowledgments. And that's where we're going to stop tonight, and the Lord willing, take up from here next time. So we'll say... To be continued. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you for the example of Abraham being your friend. And Lord, we know that if we desire to be your friend as well, there's going to have to be some altars in our lives. Altars of sacrifice and of worship. And we're going to have to acknowledge your presence and your uh, acknowledge you through our prayers. Lord, we pray that you'll bless our homes. Bless the young people uh, with children in our, in our church. Help them to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whose children are gone from the home and have established their own families, we pray that you'll help them to become friends of God as well through their time that they spend with God. Lord, we pray that uh, our families will be examples one to another. Help us older folks to uh, be an example to the younger folks as well. Thank you, Lord, for this time in the Word tonight, and we pray your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen.